I'm Anna Marie Cox, and the uh, lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here uh, staggers me. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I don't hate being right all the time. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Entropic Decay. And the Lorenz System. Today, we'll be talking about Jurassic Park, which is available... Almost anywhere you can stream things. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about The Prestige and Firefly. Dan, what episodes of Firefly are we going to talk about? Well, I could give you the numbers, but I think the important thing is we're going to be focusing on the Mrs. Reynolds episodes of Firefly, which are the two episodes that Christina Hendricks appeared in. Yes, those are very important episodes. One of them didn't yes. air, if, if you really? will recall. That yes, I, did, the I did not one, know that. The episode 11. Yeah, wow. people, we might be the only people old enough to remember, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but Firefly bombed so hard oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. the last two episodes never aired. Oh, interesting. Okay, remember, I knew that some of them hadn't aired, but I didn't know that one hadn't aired. Remember when things aired? Yes. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you had to record the VCR and all that. Yeah. That if you have something to say, dear listener, about our choices in fodder, you know what? You could become a patron and like weigh in on those things Mm -hmm. because then you would have access to the Discord. That's true. Also, you'd be joining an ever-increasing community because we are getting actually kind of close to the 250 mark. And if we hit that mark, then we are going to be doing another patrons-only episode about a topic chosen by you, the patrons. And I've realized y'all can choose anything. Yeah, it doesn't have to be sci-fi. I mean, it if could you be like, want us to weigh in on something else, right? You know, I would prefer it not be Shoah, just to be clear. Like, I, <laughs> you know, it, it would be great, or or you know, some like you know, don't make us watch all of Babylon Five because like we'll we'll get to there eventually. But like that does seem like a lot of homework. For Godfather one episode, Three. So. <laughs> well, yeah, that for different reasons. Yes, yes. <laughs> Becoming a patron supports us. It supports the Alwyn College and Kibble <laughs> Fund. And also it uh, provides us with a feeling like we will be able to keep doing this because yes, we love doing it. We do but like doing it. you don't have to become a patron to support us. You can also just tell your friends and neighbors. You can rate and mm-hmm. review. And you know what? We just like hearing from you. So if you want to reach do. out to us on Twitter, we are... At Dan Dresner and... At Anna Marie Cox. Dan... How are you? I am very good, Anna. I have finished a month in which both of my children have graduated from things, so that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> to be to be clear, let's say it's high school and college. Right? Yes, my son graduated from college, and my my daughter graduated from high school. These are not minor achievements in my book, or like not obedience school. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or yes, or right. charm school, or anything like that. I'm now like going to conferences again, uh, so that's been kind of cool, and. Also, Anna is the only one who can see what I am holding up, but (gasps) yes, the third edition of Theories in International Politics and Zombies, I hold the first copy in my hot little hands. It's the Apocalypse edition, so it'll be coming out next month. I'm so disappointed you didn't call it the Pandemic edition. Apocalypse seemed more appropriate, frankly. All Um, right. Okay. You know. All right. But yes, let's put it this way. The change in this edition is there's pandemic content. So basically it was updated to incorporate the fact that we've had a lot of near zombie-like instances. You had a lot of of, uh, places to think through 
what it might be like should we have a zombie apocalypse exactly real yes. world situations i'm not gonna lie what actually has been disturbing to me was the fact that like things that i said that would happen in the last two editions did kind of come true in the covid case so like <laughs> that's been very disturbing for me for a variety of reasons but also like you know in the apocalypse edition you can tell this will be like intense because the cover is now black as opposed to white yes so. that is true it is black yeah. with the apocalypse is red in you know, blood, yes, yeah, yeah. Or zombies is, is blood, blood red. Yeah. What was the most disturbing thing that came true, Dan? The most disturbing thing that came true was the idea that people would put their faith in the government. Um, <laughs> and it, no, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish, Anna. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. You're, you're trying to make that a uh, Is that people would place their faith in the government at the time when the government would be least likely to be able to do things well. And then just as the government would probably have figured out the best way to handle things is also when people would have trusted them the least. And so it's a disturbing sort of, you know, paradox. And otherwise, I mean, it's a pretty uplifting read, I'm guessing. Yeah, actually it is. I'm pretty optimistic about humanity. I always, like, this is what I've always said about the zombie canon. The zombie canon is too pessimistic about humans. They always assume the zombies adapt. I say that any species that invented duct tape should never be underestimated. That is my, you know, point about that. All right, Dan, we should probably talk about the thing we're going to talk about. Well, hold on. But first, I want to hear how you're doing. This is this is not a one-way exchange, Anna. All right, all right. How are you? How are you? Well, Dan, I have a kitten now. <laughs> I have a new kitten. Yes. I was showing you say, some... Say like, kitty, Anna. You, I love the way you say that. Kitty. Kitty. Yes, there we go. Yes, kitty. there we go. I have a new kitty. She is mm-hmm. about eight weeks old. She's very tiny and a little tornado of chaos. <laughs> like in she's not leaving me or the dog alone the good thing she's so fucking cute you know like that is the, that is how that's, that's a revolutionary that's yeah, a revolutionary yeah. adaptation because <laughs> yep, yep. i was saying uh, i think i posted to twitter that she's developed um the two major cat skills which is not being anywhere where i can find her when i want to find her and then mm-hmm. not going away when i need to do something <laughs> else <laughs> <laughs> I, I do wonder if there was like some little conversation inside the cat DNA that sort of said, wait, if we get cuter, we can get away with more. This is awesome. Let's take this straight off. That's right. Yeah. And she's totally intimidating Exley. Exley, at first, he's basically just been curious, you know. Mm-hmm. There was an excitement period where I kept them pretty se- separate. Mm-hmm. And then he calmed down and just got very curious, just wanted to like sniff her and stuff. But she just turned around and, like, went up on her tippy-toe Halloween cat pose, and uh, he ran away. So, going great, in other words. Okay. (laughs) Now, why don't we move to the thing that we're here here to talk about. Yes, Jurassic Park. Why are we talking about Jurassic Park, Dan? Well, uh, I believe the last of these films is coming out or might even be out by the, the time The last listeners... of them. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what optimistic. they're saying. At least that, that, I, well, I mean, to be fair, that is the marketing. It's like, you know, the end of the Jurassic right. whatever. Mm. Yeah, I know. I know. They'll, maybe they'll, they'll probably revise it in a, or revive it in a generation. But it does seem like in this one they're trying to tie together the sort of Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas, Howard characters in the from the recent ones and they're bringing back the the oldies the sam neill and laura dern and jeff goldblum characters from the original so sure why not let's talk about it and i am particularly interested in talking about this because there needs to be a german word for pop culture phenomena that one has avoided without intending to because i until 
this podcast had never seen any one of these films. I am positive that that's true for something else that we've done. Because I feel like I've heard that German word for pop culture phenomenon one has avoided without intending to. Maybe. Before. I was th- Maybe Event Horizon. I hadn't seen that either. But I don't think that's quite no, the that's same not ballpark quite like, as this. Yeah, as yeah. omnipresent as, yeah, as Jurassic yeah. Park. Well, we'll get to talking about it. Yes. Because I personally enjoyed my rewatch of, of this. I enjoyed my initial watch. I have to say, this lived up to the hype, which is not easy to do. Pretty so, impressive you know. for 1993. Yeah. No, you, like, how do I put this? Like, watching this, I was like, God damn, man. Spielberg was, like, really, like, just top of his game at this one. Like, this is, even bad Spielberg is good, and this is good Spielberg. Yeah, this is, this is Spielberg, like, feeling it for sure yeah exactly yeah all right we, we have to get to before we get to the behind the scenes before we get mm-hmm. to, to the to the actual plot we have a Chekhov's what's it yes what is your Chekhov's me, what's it so again this is something that often appears in the first act of the film that you know is going to come back later for me it is without question the when dinosaurs ruled the world banner over the gift shop <laughs> slash main visitors hall and you know it just when it re- does reappear, it reappear again, it reappears perfectly. It's a great shot. It's it's one of the iconic shots in the film. So, yes, well done, Spielberg. What about you, Anna? Uh, Dan, Chekhov's female reproductive system. That's what I'm going <laughs> to go with here. Fair enough. Yes. That's right. There yep. is a non-Chekhov's thing, like a disappointing. Like, we need to come up with what that is. Is it false? No, not false flag. What's the? Uh, uh, oh, it's a MacGuffin. No, it's that's MacGuffin, actually yeah. MacGuffin no. is a thing. No, MacGuffin actually, yeah. MacGuffin is an object usually. I'm, tr- I'm trying, uh, well, like you know, red I, herring. That doesn't. Yeah, like it's all, like the horror movie thing where like you think something's going to be important and it isn't. And I'm trying to think what the term is. Um, maybe red herring, Perhaps. or just fake out. But it's fake anyway. Out. It's the night vision glasses that Tim finds in the jeep, which yeah. like there's like a little bit of business with them, and then uh, never mind. Yeah, doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, they don't. They do not return. In fact. <laughs> All right, let us move to the story behind the story. Anna, tell me about the film that Steven Spielberg made right before making Schindler's List. Dan, Schindler's List exists because of Jurassic Park. This is so weird. Okay, how is this the case? Universal Studios told him he could make Schindler's List if he made Jurassic Park. It was a straight-up deal. Ah, That's fair. Okay, One, one for them and one for him. Okay. And there's actually a weird list of things that exist in the world because of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Beyond the four or five other Jurassic right, Park. Right, behind the, the franchise. Yes. The creation of DTS or digital theater systems, which is a competitor to Dolby that mm-hmm. Spielberg founded in order oh. to have his own proprietary digital sound like company. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Are the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, yes, 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 true. Tupac Shakur at Coachella <laughs> would not exist except for Jurassic Park because Stan Winston, okay. who did the special mm-hmm. effects for this movie, went on to found Digital Domain, which is the company that did Tupac Shakur at Coachella. Okay, all right, fair enough. And then, Dan, you might want to sit down for this one. Okay, yeah, because I normally stand when we record this that's stuff. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So Jurassic Park revolutionized CGI. Mm-hmm. And, and we can talk more about that if you want, but I'll probably mm-hmm. save that for the newsletter. But at least one film historian says that many filmmakers saw Jurassic Park's effects as a realization that many of their visions previously thought unfeasible were now possible. Mm. Among those filmmakers and the films that they decided to make after seeing Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. 
Kubrick made AI. Interesting. Okay. Which Peter, Spielberg then finished, by the way. That's, but yeah. that's Peter yeah. Jackson. Mm-hmm. decided to do the Lord of the Rings movies. Okay, definitely a net gain. All right. Yeah. And George Lucas made the Star Wars prequels. So Spielberg has a lot to answer for, is what you're saying. Okay. Jar okay. Jar Binks is a direct descendant <laughs> of the Velociraptors. Oof, okay. There is so much to say about the background of this movie. I might just have to cut and paste everything into the newsletter, which, which will actually come out this week. People might not remember what a big deal Michael Crichton was, but he was a huge fucking deal. Oh, yeah. Like, he was he was a novelist that, I don't think this is an understatement, he rivaled Stephen King in, in the sense that when a Michael Crichton novel came out, that was an event. Yep, yep. And I yeah. actually don't have here what he got for, actually, the, the advance on the novel, but he mm. got a 1.5 million film rights option mm. before the novel was published. Then Universal paid him another 500000 to adapt the novel. Oh, wow. Which apparently he didn't do great at because it was rewritten substantially. <laughs> but, Fair enough. But, you know, good money. Uh, it's also, I, be- I believe ahead. this is also the only novel he wrote where he wrote a sequel. Like, yes. he wrote The Lost Word. The Lost World is an Austral novel that, you know, he, he developed along this. None of his other books had uh, sequels of memory service. Yes, I think, you're right. Yeah, that's that's right. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that he doesn't go back to the same themes over and over. No, but... no, 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 no. <laughs> Although I would, add, I will say, I read this novel, and it's a good book. Like, it is actually an he entertaining book. He is, unfortunately, book. like, a, a, a very tight writer. Like, I think mm-hmm. his politics are pretty gross, and some of Which his is, yeah, totally fair to debate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but totally he, fair. But... He invented, basically, the techno-thriller. Yeah, and and some of his novels aren't great, but but no. a lot of them are. Like he figured yeah. out a way to make you know technology seem exciting. Mm-hmm. Spielberg, for his part, saw this as a sequel to Jaws, which <laughs> I think you could probably write a dissertation on. There's definitely some similarities. I um, will say that was actually my response watching it for the first yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, and Spielberg met Crichton when Crichton was working on ER. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. He I wrote know- the pilot. He, he wrote the, the pilot. pilot. I forgot about that. And then just a little tidbit that might sort of fun. Again, there's a lot to say about the CGI. Mainly, I want to point out that it's a combination of real effects and mm-hmm. CGI, and that's probably why it still works pretty well. Yes, and we'll talk about this, but I th- like the the real effects are, are underrated in this film. But it's the, I, yeah. I do think it's the combination of them that sort of yeah. carries it up. Uh, yeah. But uh, Spielberg really wanted to do actual effects, but then he was convinced someone like they did a mock up of a, mm-hmm. a T Rex running, how it would be if it was CGI, and Spielberg said to the animatronic Got advisor, it. "Yeah, you're out of a job." Oh. To which that guy responded, don't you mean extinct? Oh, damn. Like, you know, if you have a comeback that quick on that, like, maybe you're not out of a job. Yeah, but you're exactly. Then you go into the movie because there's that exact exchange. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. There's some fun alternate casting. Alan Grant could have been Harrison Ford or William Hurt. Ooh, okay. Ian Malcolm could have been played by Jim Carrey. Oh, God. I know, right? Yeah. Very Oof. different feel. Yeah, very, very different feel. Very different energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ellie Sattler might have been uh, Robin Wright, Helen Hunt, or Gwyneth Paltrow. I could have seen all of those, actually. actually more during great, but like, I you know. I kind of feel like Helen Hunt also. I mean, you know what? All of them, I think Paltrow, eh, I don't know. Paltrow would have been really young at that point. I'm not sure. Laura Dern is knocks it out of the park. So yeah. that's, that's what we'll say. Yeah. And then I yeah. know you... No, I have strong feelings about child actors. Yes. How they were cast in, in this movie, I feel, justifies my distaste. They mm-hmm. were cast by screaming. 
So who had the most annoying scream, in other yep, words? that is yeah. basically Okay, it. <laughs> well, they, mission accomplished on that front. Yes, yes. And then there's a, there's much as there's a lot to say about the CGI, there's also a lot to say about the science. I will stick with two big things. Hmm. The dinosaurs in the movie are not, in fact, mostly from the Jurassic period. Mm-hmm. That's sort of So important. just, again, park badly named, yeah. Velociraptors, not scary, resemble more, they're said to resemble big chickens more than anything else. Oh, okay. Uh, and T-Rexes could see just fine. Good to know. Yeah, good to know if you okay. ever are in the similar if, if situation. This ever happens, you you yes. are not going to be able to use the whole they only see motion dodge. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're apparently very, very fine hunters. That is accurate. Okay. And, and they can see just fine. All right. Okay. I have, again, the reason why we have a newsletter is so I can do a brain dump. <laughs> and not just go on and on in this section. So I will not go on and on in this section. Let's get to the plot. All right, let's start with Act 1. It's all about ethics and grant getting. Don't you hate it when one of your theme park employees is eaten by one of your main attractions? I know plutocrat John Hammond does. He's trying to open up a new dinosaur theme park in Costa Rica, but his fellow investors are twitchy about safety. So Hammond agrees to corporate shill lawyer Donald Gennaro's insistence on an expert panel to conduct a review. Gennaro invites sexy mathematician, yeah, I said it, Ian Malcolm. Anna, thoughts about this? <laughs> it's a very sexy mathematician, and it's true. I mean, let's see. Beautiful Mind. We got Russell Crowe. That's a sexy oh, it's mathematician. Oh, yeah. yeah, sexy That's mathematician. a good sexy mathematician. And Jennifer then, Connelly, also a sexy mathematician. In that indeed. Film, yeah. uh, as you know, my father is a mathematician, and uh-huh. I would presume that at some point people found him sexy. I would uh, hope, yeah. As my mother yeah, at case least. In, yes. Case in point. Okay. But yeah, Jeff Goldblum is so good in this. He's just, <laughs> he's kind of just being Jeff Goldblum, but. I don't think he is actually. Like, this is actually a different Jeff Goldblum performance from, let's say, what you see in Independence Day or The Fly or like his other sci fi stuff. You he's, know what? You're right. This is not just Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum because there yeah. is a smarminess to him. Yeah, the, sleaziness was actually the word I yeah. was going to use. Like, there, he's, I hate to say this, he plays a really good superstar academic. That's the way I would put it. <laughs> Like, I've seen this type, and Goldblum nails it. And, and you know, yeah. And I have two, and they are usually not as sexy as they think they are. In <laughs> that fact, might be why this this, this works. 99% of the time, they're not yeah. as sexy as they think they are. Oh, my God. I worked at the Chronicle of Higher Education for a while. I don't know if you know <laughs> that. And I, I am picturing, I, can, I have in my head uh, the image of this guy at the AHA. <laughs> Wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Hitting on grad students. It oh, was awesome. Oh god. Oh. Ooh. He was. Yeah, he was a piece, and I actually, I think I remember his name, but I won't say it. The only problem here is that Jeff Goldblum is actually sexy. Yes, so it works it on. Sort pretty of undercuts it a little bit because you're like, well, he, he's sleazy, but. But yeah, and also he winds up being right all the time, which yes, helps. That's right. That's right. Anyway, Hammond invites hot sci-fi couple paleontologist Alan Grant and paleobotanist Ellie Sattler. They agree to go after Hammond agrees to fund their Montana dig for three more years. Meanwhile, Dennis Nedry, the chief computer guy at Jurassic Park, takes a bribe in return for planning to steal embryos and delivering them to one of Hammond's competitors. He's apparently disgruntled because he thinks Hammond isn't paying him enough. Everyone arrives on the island of Isla Nublar and realizes that Hammond's team has successfully cloned dinosaurs, drawing from blood ingested by mosquitoes and fossilized in amber, and then using amphibian DNA to fill in any gaps. They even see a velociraptor hatch from an egg. 
Hammond and his team brag about all the precautions they've taken to make sure the dinos don't escape, uh, security measures, breeding only females, but none of the scientists are convinced about this, which leads to, among other things, Malcolm's epic speech about life finding a way. Joined by Hammond's grandchildren, Lex and Tim, the most annoying children in a <laughs> 90s movie, uh, they then embark on a tour of the park. Anna, I know this isn't the most important part of the story, but I'm pretty sure Hammond's grant was pay for play, and that seems pretty unethical. And I want to be clear, not for Hammond to offer it, I mean, it's a little unethical. It's unethical for Annalyn Grant and Ellie Sattler to accept it. <laughs> and, and to also show no qualms about it whatsoever. It's no, they're like, overdrawing. Oh, yes. yes. Great. We'll do okay. it. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> What I want to say about this opening set is that I had forgotten that the entire plot takes off because of an insurance issue. That's actually <laughs> it, right? Like, it, well, they, it, do, it, they do convene this panel to, to look at the safety, but what right. the corporate uh, lawyer. lawyer says, I don't know by, why, by the way, he shows up at the Amber mine like, yeah that made no, no sense. reason at all for him no to be logic there. at all for why he's there but yeah, he, that didn't he make just rattles sense. off something about how they need to get insurance and i'm right you know again so my dad's a mathematician in the insurance industry and i'm like you know what that you i don't think you could i just i, I, I feel like <laughs> i was gonna say if you're hammond i'm gonna say maybe you need to self-insure on this one because yeah this seems I a little more i think you just need a lot of uh you need to sign some things away if you yeah. go basically some and sort of nda yeah some sort of nda and you know just release of liability yep. and then self-insure i also think that grant's reaction or mm -hmm. sam neill's reaction, reaction yeah to seeing the dinosaurs for the first time mm-hmm is so good. Yeah. I was thinking about it because uh, I was listening to some other movie podcast, and I can't remember what movie they were talking about, there, but it had to do something set in the future, some incredible thing happening. Mm -hmm. And it's generally, I think, a problem in genre movies that most characters don't react to the fantastical in a way right. like real people would. Like, right. if you suddenly were set down in the 1880s in time travel, you would be like, holy fuck. Right, right, you should be freaking out. Like, yeah. that is the what normal... Is that would, most happening, humans would react that way, right? yes. yes. And his reaction is the combination, of course, the joy of it, because he's a dinosaur guy, but also the astonishment. Right. And it, it may seem like I'm picking out a small thing, but I think it's one of the things that makes it a great movie. I mean, I would go further than that. It's one of the ways in which, you know, we can talk about this film as, as really the the one in which CGI effects really start to to take off but cgi effects only work if the human actors react to them in a way to sell them as well so like one of the things i, I you know i like about this film is there really is a mix of sort of high-tech special effects but also just quality acting and quality effects as well real effects so you know again props to spielberg yeah, and, and he just involved. and sam neill just sets it on the right tone with with yeah. that reaction yeah exactly uh, and the Acting is so good it overcomes the children. That's yeah. <laughs> high praise for you, Anna. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Act Two. Newman. So Alan, Ellie, Ian, the lawyer, and the grandkids go on the automated tour, but it's underwhelming. No sign of the T Rex or other dinosaurs, and the group encounters a sick Triceratops. Furthermore, Alan can't stand kids, which is a total buzzkill for Ellie, who clearly very much wants to have kids. Meanwhile, a tropical storm is also about to hit the island. Most of the park employees evacuate for the mainland on a boat. The visitors return to their electric tour vehicles, except for Sattler, who stays behind with the park's veterinarian to study the Triceratops. 
Nedry, to steal the embryos, runs a program that deactivates a lot of the park's security and some of its power. This strands the tour just outside the T-Rex paddock. That's super inconvenient since the electric fences are deactivated, allowing the Tyrannosaurus to escape and attack the group in a scene that really I could describe, but that doesn't do it justice. It's just really goddamn amazing and incredibly well done. After the T-Rex overturns one of the tour vehicles, it injures Malcolm and devours Gennaro, the lawyer who had abandoned the kids in favor of the restroom. Separated, Grant, Lex, and Tim escape down an embankment. Nedry steals the embryos, but on his way to the docks, crashes his jeep and is killed by a Dilophosaurus. Anna, I think one of Spielberg's best tricks when he's making a creature feature is to take his time before he lets you see the big bad in full view. That happened in Jaws, and in some ways that was sort of a... He was forced by circumstances to do that because the the yep. shark that he was using didn't work terribly well. Everything works very well here, but I think he properly internalized that lesson. And as a result, the payoff with the T-Rex packs a much bigger wallop as a result. Yes, and also because of what we were just saying, because you yeah. could have a not as great T-Rex, but mm-hmm. because everything around it is done so well, all the mm-hmm. acting and like the setup, like mm-hmm. the fact that it is such good special effects just i mean that's why this is still a great movie right and it's a great movie because of the combination of these things the special effects hold up pretty well Mm -hmm. and again i do think i think also some later film historians will point out that it's because of that combination of animatronics and cgi that that it winds up feeling more whole i would add that also it works because the set pieces are clever and like exciting and thrilling like the idea of how does a t-rex get into a car it's just we hadn't seen that before, and it's really an interesting like thing to see, and it's it's terrifying. And it's interesting to watch it now because it does all hold up yeah. really, really well. Even though some of it almost feels cliche by now, but like this is where but, it became cliche. Yeah, this exactly. Right? I was just say that that's like watching The Godfather and like seeing like you know all these lines that you had heard before and realizing oh this is where it came from. Yeah. I also want to say this something only that I don't think I would have noticed you know thirty years ago, but. The thing where they escape down the embankment, the mm-hmm. Jeep gets stuck in a tree, and it's essentially right. a car chase down a tree. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just super clever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. you'd think there's only so many ways to do different kinds of action. And mm-hmm. and being as old as I am, I do feel like sometimes like action movies have lost some of their like appeal for me because it is it does feel like there's not a whole lot of new things to under the sun. I also want to say that I watch it with closed captioning. Uh, This is on point, by the way, as usual. So there's a scene before they see the T-Rex, but they're coming to know that they're carnivores in Jurassic Park. And it's they're with the kids and it's like some docile, you know, creatures and they start stampeding. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's the Velociraptors. It might have been the Raptors. Well, they actually see the Raptors. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Mm -hmm. my whole point is that at one point in the closed captioning, it says creatures mooing in fear. (laughs) I love that. That's a good trivia team name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to Act Three. Timmy. So, Sattler makes it back to the main compound. Realizing that the others are missing, she and the game warden search for survivors by the T-Rex paddock. They find only an injured Malcolm. Grant, Tim, and Lex take shelter in a treetop and spend the evening watching the Brachiosauruses gently munch on trees. In the morning, they discover the broken shells of dinosaur eggs. 
Grant concludes that the dinosaurs have in fact been breeding, which occurs because of their frog DNA. Apparently some West African frogs can change their sex in a single-sex environment, and it looks like the dinosaurs did so as well. Unable to decipher Nedry's code to reactivate the security system, Hammond and Chief Engineer Ray Arnold, shout out to Samuel L. Jackson, decide to reboot the park system. It unfreezes the computer, but the power doesn't come back on. They'll need to go to the maintenance bunker to reset the circuit breakers. First Arnold, and then Ellie and the Game Warden, head to that bunker to restart the power. But, along the way, they notice that with the power down, the Velociraptors have gotten loose. Sad. Mm. Anna, is now the right time to discuss sexism in survival situations? Or should we just say it's a throwaway line? Also, was it me, or was Lex way more annoying than Timmy? I'll just take the last one first, uh, okay, Dan. Yeah. They're both super annoying. I hated them. <laughs> And it's only because of Richard Attenborough that they're tolerable. Like he, he I was going to put this in the debris field, but he does a great job with that tiny role. I mean, yeah. it's a pivotal oh, yeah. role, but he's not on screen a bunch. No. In the books, he's a villain, the straight right. up villain. Richard Attenborough, like we usually think of him as just narrating nature stuff right. at this point. But he's, um, he's got a twinkle in his eye is the way I would put it. And like he has that, a twinkle in his eye and you yeah. believe that he loves his grandchildren. You believe yes. that he sincerely regrets Yes. You know, what has happened. And his it's his attitude towards the kids that kind of makes them not objectionable. <laughs> I'm going to defend Timmy here because I actually, you know, as, a, as someone who used to be a young geek, you know, yes. I, I admired Timmy because Timmy had actually read. First of all, he'd read Alan's book. All right. He'd That's done the a, reading. He'd done the work. He actually knew something about dinosaurs. He wasn't totally useless until the end, whereas Lex... I mean, until the <laughs> hey, last no. 10 minutes. Oh, I was going to say. Until the last 10 minutes, I grant you, she she gets her moment finally. But Jesus, it takes a long time where it's yeah. just, she's just annoying as fuck. She is really annoying. The, her getting her 10 minutes is also pretty funny because I believe yeah. her line is, Unix, I yes. know Unix. Exactly. Wait, it's, not, it's also, I don't think it's Unix. <laughs> but <laughs> to get back to sexism and survival situations. Ah, here we go. Yes, yes. I just want to reach back to, to something that I found out in the reading. And I will plead that this was my assumption as well, and you sort of alluded to it, which is this idea that um, some amphibians can change their sex right. in a single-sex environment. Mm-hmm. No. Ah. That they reproduce asexually. Mm. It's mm-hmm. actually, they stay having the reproductive organs of a female, mm-hmm. but they, it's, uh, is it parthogenesis? I think. That I'm sounds right. I'm not going to look it up, because you know what? The Discord will correct me if I got that wrong. There you go. But it is funny to think that it's actually still an all-female environment. <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of sexism in survival situations. Yes. Astute viewers may have noticed that Samuel L. Jackson was denied a death scene. And he's had so many in his canon. I mean, like, it's it's actually... Yeah. It was in the script. Oh. Unfortunately, there was a hurricane during filming and a lot of stuff had to get scrapped. Although uh, some of the scenes in the rain are actually shot during, during the hurricane? hurricane. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Okay. Yeah. And... I also want to say, like, the plot of this movie is as simple as Jaws, right? Mm-hmm. Like, monsters escape. Right. And it's, again, I, I guess it's just because it's been a while since I just saw something that was this tight, crafted yeah. this well. Yeah. You know, I think this is of action movies that we've seen. Why don't, this is just one of the best. I mean. Yeah. No, let me put it this way. The, the one that I actually kept thinking about was Aliens. Because it's a similar sort of structure in that it builds slowly, builds slowly. Simple plot. And then, right, simple plot. And the last 45 minutes of this film 
it keeps upping the ante and, and, and does so in a plausible way. And I, actually, that the, the other thing I wanted to point out yeah. about that is they could have lost the whole fucking selling the embryos, you know, computers, like mm-hmm. all of that. Like, I mean, you need it kind of to create more obstacles. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. But that whole thing where there's like there is this, I think, trying to have some intention about whether or not they're going to find the computer code like that. Yeah. We don't need that. It could, that right. could have been much simpler. And that's just, again, a testament to like how great sort of like the essentials of the, of the movie are. Yeah. All right, let's move to the last act, Everything Dinosaurs All at Once. All right, let's close with Act 4, Everything Dinosaurs All at Once. The game warden recognizes that the raptors are hunting them, and so he tells Ellie to run for the maintenance bunker while he stays to cover for her. Ellie makes it, and Hammond talks her through rebooting the system. Meanwhile, Grant, Tim, and Lex climb the perimeter fence to make their way back to the visitor center. Ellie turns on the power, and Tim gets shocked because he was right on the fence at that moment, but he nonetheless survives. The good news doesn't last, however, because Ellie realizes that the raptors are in the maintenance shed and have already killed Arnold. She makes her way back to the visitor center, joining up with Grant. Tim and Lex see the raptors and try to hide in the kitchen, but it turns out raptors now know how to open doors. Ruh-roh. The raptors play cat and mouse with the kids in what is probably the most thrilling scene in the film. I mean, I, I don't know what yeah. would you say. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's actually a good example of the way that they use the best of CGI and the best right. of practical effects. Yeah. Because some of those velociraptors were stuntmen in velociraptor mm-hmm. suits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then sometimes it was completely CGI. CGI and then right. other times it was like animatronic. So yeah. it, it is a testament just, again, to the craft of this, that they kind of knew what to use for what. Yes, and, and that's it's seamless why, in terms of all three of these ways of, of doing the effects, yeah. Right, and that's why you can look at the at Jurassic Park as a filmmaker and be like, oh, it's some stuff that I thought I, I couldn't do, I can do. Just because the technology's there doesn't mean you can actually do it. I feel like I'm quoting Jeff Goldblum now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Why couldn't Why couldn't Jeff Goldblum have given that lecture to filmmakers as a result of this film? That's fair. You know what yeah. I mean? They say they, yeah. they look at CGI that this like seamless blend of special effects and think like, oh wow, look, I can do all these cool things, and that's why even <sighs> though all of this technology is available, not every movie with CGI is now perfect. <laughs> I have to say, this is one of those things where it's like. Yeah, this is why Spielberg is a better filmmaker than Lucas, because Lucas responds to this oh, by God. creating all these like prequels with like, nothing but CGI. Literally, like, Jar Jar Banks. Yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. All right, so fleeing the Raptors, the group reaches the control room, and Lex finally proves herself to be useful using the computer to restore the park's power. They call Hammond, who calls the mainland for help. As they try to escape the visitor center, they are surrounded by raptors, and it looks like the jig is up, but they manage to escape when the Tyrannosaurus appears and gnaws on the raptors. Hammond arrives in a jeep with Malcolm, and the group boards a helicopter to leave the island. The movie ends with Ellie spontaneously conceiving as she looks beatifically at Grant as the children snuggle in his arms, realizing that Grant might actually have children later. Anna, props to Spielberg and Crichton. The film's climax is pretty exciting, and the tension just continues to escalate as the film goes on. Yeah, so you, uh, you know, waited 20, 30 years to see this. <laughs> uh, was it worth it? Yeah, it was. This is a really good film. Like, you know, yeah. it's it's not just a good summer blockbuster. It's a good film, period. You know, the acting is solid. The effects are extremely good. And the tension is like... You know what I kept thinking? I kept thinking of Spielberg as I was watching this as like a music conductor who's written the music and, like, knows exactly when to, you know, reach the crescendo, but when to, like, you know, let it lie again, let it lie again, and then suddenly surprises you. And I I think the other thing is, is that this is Spielberg making Jaws 
with more resources. And so mm-hmm. it's just, you know, all around really very good. And the joy he clearly gets in the occasional little vicious moments that the monsters have is, is quite something. Yeah. Every, everyone thinks of Spielberg as a completely sunny filmmaker, which is not, I think, the way to think about it. Like, <laughs> he you know, did make Schindler's List. Yes, actions. yes. <laughs> There's a certain gleeful fun that he has with this that is fascinating to me. Oh, and fun yeah. with the villains. That's yes, what you mean. exactly. Yeah, like they, yeah. they think of him as being, you know, a optimist on the side of the good guys and whatnot. Right. But you're right. Like the one of the reasons why this film works is that it has great villains. Yeah, exactly. You know? And in the, I, I will say that my memory of the novel is that the, there's more human villains. Yes, really. that's like, correct. And what's great and impressive about Jurassic Park the movie is that there aren't really human villains. I mean, even Nedry, like, I mean, he sort of, I guess, right? Right. But he's not the threat. No, no, he's not. You know? The monsters are the real threat in this The film. monsters are the threat. I, the one thing I missed from the, the novel, which I don't know if it could have, I mean, it's in the film in a little bit, but not quite as much, is that Crichton's novel is a, a lot of it is about chaos theory. It's about mm-hmm. the idea that you think you can control. <laughs> did you miss having more chaos theory? <laughs> yeah, I, I, of course. Yes, yes, I did, Anna. Okay, I'm not going to apologize for that. But live this way: in the novel, what Crichton is able to do is things fall apart, but then they seem to get restored, and then they really fall apart. And so, like that middle part where, like, it looks like you think it's going to go a different way. That's not in this film, and that's fine because this film is something different and. I, I don't think it would have worked as well in, in the film, but it was in the book and I thought it was an effective part. Of yeah, the I think, well, the, the I think Crichton himself said that the movie is like 20% of the content that right. was in the book. Yeah, that's correct. And one of the things that makes it a great movie is it's fucking tight and it yeah. is like Alien. I mean, yes. it, I would say there's some, if I had to watch it again with thinking this way, I could probably pick out some scenes that didn't need to be there, mm-hmm. unlike Alien, which is a perfect film. That's correct. But not many. No. And this is under two hours. It's like, yeah, you could have, it could have been a little leaner, but it's not, there's it's very little flat. It's efficient, flap. man. Yeah. Like, and, and that is, I, I mean, I feel like we're going on about this, but because, you know, because of this show and because of fucking pandemic, I've watched so many movies in the past couple <laughs> years, right? Yeah. And most, I, I have a weakness for big dumb movies, but it's, I feel like it's been a while since I've been reminded of like, what a truly great what does a big like, smart movie look like? Big smart movie that yeah. is a truly classic film. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it was interesting to watch this knowing everything that's going to happen mm-hmm. and still be able to be transported and feel the tension. Yeah. You know, and I, say, and I will I, say as, as someone who didn't know the plot, I mean, I, I kind of knew roughly what happened, but like I was legit surprised as I'm watching this like. Oh my God! Oh wow! This is it, she's taking it up a notch. Like every time, like I was, I, it was just it was the first time viewer. It was there's a reason why people came back to watch this film. Is what I'm saying. Well, Dan, now that we've finished, perhaps fan personing uh, <laughs> over the film, I do have a question. Okay, what is it? Is there IR in this movie? Anna, I might suffer from a deplorable excess of personality. <laughs> But that does not mean I can't see that there is IR in this film. So the film leans heavily on chaos theory, as we said, to explain how complex nonlinear systems break down. As I said, the book does an even better job of this, by the way, but this is discussed in the film. In fact, I think at one point, doesn't Ian Malcolm claim he's not a mathematician, he's a chaotician or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which no one would ever say, just to be clear, but whatever. But it is safe to say that what Hammond and his team failed to do was to honestly comprehend the complexity 
of what they were attempting. And all it took was was one minor perturbation, in this case Nedry's attempted theft, and all of the systems started breaking down one by one. And, you know, there's a lot of work on sort of how complex systems often break down. The, the classic work in this is uh, Charles Perrault's Normal Accidents, uh, which was a study of why Three Mile Island failed, but then also why that phenomenon recurs throughout complex systems. And, and you know, it would have been nice if Hammond had read that book, is all I'm saying. The idea that, that Hammond and his team couldn't control this also jibes with one of the classic cognitive failings of powerful people, the illusion of control. So it's this notion that, you know, particularly if you are like Elon Musk levels of rich, you assume that you pretty much know how the universe is going to work and that you'll be able to like deal with whatever comes you'll your be way. Able to go to Mars and establish a colony yeah. and what could go wrong. Yeah. Um, and, as, and as Malcolm yells at one point, and again, good Jeff Goldblum acting. Like, you know, Jeff Goldblum is mostly, as we said, sort of a little sleazy in this film, but like he does well in the righteous indignation mm-hmm. side as well. And he, he yells at one point, you never had control. That's the illusion. And he's right, because Hammond really, up until that moment, does think that he has control or could could have control again. And Malcolm is correct to point that out. And I will say that, that an adjunct to the idea of chaos theory, at least in international relations, is the notion of entropy. The idea that whatever order exists in world politics is, you know, slowly breaking down, much like uh, entropy in, in the physical laws of the, the universe. And certainly over the last couple of years, that does seem to be <laughs> worth uh, worth contemplating. An excellent book about that is Randy Schweller's Maxwell's Demon, um, which came out about 10 years ago and talks about this. So, yeah, uh, chaos theory is one of those things that, like, intellectually it was kind of faddish in the late 80s, but, you know, IR scholars have started looking at it a little more seriously in terms of what are the lessons of chaos theory for dealing with complex human systems, and it turns out they kind of end like Jurassic Park a little bit. <laughs> people being eaten uh people dying let's put it that way mm. yeah so anna i i now have a question for you yes dan is there a critique of capitalism in this film dan the market will find a way <laughs> <laughs> finally you and the libertarians agree well yes in some ways it, it although it does appear like there's a critique of capitalism in in mm-hmm. some ways, right? And yeah. Malcolm's speech. And I, I'm tempted to read the whole thing, but of course I can't Jeff Goldblum it, so I will not. <laughs> but he does seem to be critical off of of Hammond trying to profit off of these advances and not earning these advances. Yeah, that right? was the one false note I actually thought I would have pushed back. Like, that was the one thing that I was not persuaded by. Like, the whole point of the commercialization of science is that you're building on the shoulders of others. I, I, I tend to agree, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, it is, it's there in it the is movie. There. It is yeah. pretty uh, in your face. Like, yeah. he, he says, you patented and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it, mm-hmm. you know? And also, there is a few visual jokes in the movie that are <laughs> Not subtle, but they are good. Um, yeah. One of them is the dinosaur banner. Dinosaurs, when yeah. dinosaurs rule the earth, like falling onto the T-Rex. Another mm-hmm. one is when the genetic code is projected onto one of the raptors, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then another one juxtaposes the dinosaurs rampaging inside the hull with the merch in the gift shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Which I believe we are supposed to see as ironic. Right, except of course... That is the exact merch that you can buy. <laughs> you know, like that's weird. <laughs> like if you think I guess, about but it. Let, me, let me ask you. Let me let me put it to you this way, though, Anna. If you knew there was a T-shirt 
that had Lumen Enterprises on it from Severance, would you buy it? Honestly, no. Okay, all right. But not, sort of not, well, hmm. I actually, my answer, I feel pretty good about my answer because I have just tried to stop buying shit that proclaims my fandom. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Because I've come to realize, like, especially in pandemic times, I don't need to show anybody I'm a fan of something. Like, <laughs> like it's enough. hard. I could just change my Twitter avatar if I really want to, right? Okay, like, that's like yes. the, the most efficient way to do it. True. And that I only have so many T-shirts to wear. Um, <laughs> but I, I agree. There, you know, there have been times in my life when I've bought merch that uh, advertises some fictional company. Mm-hmm. I just think it, this is funny, though. Like that they have this yeah. scene in the movie where they're trying to say, "Ah, try to make money. Now, you, now you're dead." Yeah. And yet they sell it. Yeah. And also, Crichton himself is not known for his progressive views. No, he most certainly is not. No. I didn't look around for his words on this, but I did find um, some libertarian think tank, an essay called The Original Jurassic Park and the Hubris of Central Planning, <laughs> which is which tries to see the movie as a as a metaphor for what happens if you try to centrally plan an economy. I don't. No, say, no, doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to I'm going to officially throw a red card on that libertarian analysis, because first of all, if nothing else, that means that per, whoever wrote that had never actually read Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, because one of the things that Hayek says in The Road to Serfdom is praising the concept of planning for the market. And that is exactly what Hammond is doing in creating this park. He like that is the literal embodiment of what Hayek is talking about. So this is all a private sector thing that goes terribly wrong. No, no, that doesn't work. I agree. Because yeah. also, if you think about it, what he's saying actually is that the market, if it's not controlled, will kill people. <laughs> yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Also, let, let's be honest about this. There's a like, reason why Hammond is setting this up in Costa Rica yeah. and nowhere in the United States. OK, <laughs> it's what we call, you know, regulatory arbitrage. Like he was clearly doing this in a place where he knew he wasn't going to get terribly regulated to do it. Yeah. I mean, like I have quotes from this here and it really they, I'll link to it. it, it yeah. They try so hard on this. But again, no. like I, I feel like one of the central points here is that in this metaphor, mm-hmm. The death and destruction happens because the so-called market <laughs> is not sufficiently controlled. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I also wonder what this free market person, like what he thinks Hammond should have done. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, there is a funny critique about this that's it's just right there on the surface that actually just reading this essay you get, which is that, of course, the dinosaurs are capitalism. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. They do rampage. And, and it, but it is weird to, to say that and then say the lesson of this movie is not to try and control it. Yeah, that's correct. You know, capitalism, yes. rapacious, unforgiving, mercenary, and rich people wind up escaping the worst of it. That is the true <laughs> lesson of this movie. Mm-hmm. But I also want to point out that the real free market take mm-hmm. on Jurassic Park would be that nothing went wrong. <laughs> it's the law of the jungle. <laughs> Actually... To be fair, the problem wasn't trying to control the dinosaurs. It was not controlling them well. <laughs> I, Progress is iterative. It's a good thing they did this in previews. I was going to say, like, you would argue that the true capital take is the system worked because yeah. they tried to open the park. They, like, actually brought the regulators in. Turns out, not a great idea. So, yeah. guess what? They're going to keep it closed because no way they'll make a sequel to any of these films. So, you know, like. <laughs> 
the, the, the story ends right here, right, Anna? I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, actually, so again, like from the real free market days, nothing went wrong because also the, the real free market take anticipates a sequel, not just because of IP, right? But because <laughs> like that's just the way the market should work. Yeah, you have a really great idea. Tried it. Didn't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just try it again. Let's see if it works that next time. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That is what Elon Musk will do when his first Mars colony fails. There we go. Yes. (laughs) Oof. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, my gosh. It's T Rex. We're in the debris field. Yep. This is where you talk about the things that we didn't already talk about. Dan, what do you have? A couple things. First of all, again, I loved the Disney spoofing in like the Disney-fied Dr. DNA. Like I, that was yeah. just freaking genius and and really did seem like if there was a park like this that is exactly how they would have that thing. So that was good. I a little plot nitpick, you know. I guess that tropical storm cleared up real fast cuz like tropical storms about to hit the island, there's a couple scenes where it's raining and then suddenly like the next morning it's, you know, uh, perfectly calm and and peaceful. So that was good. I'm going to call bullshit on Ian Malcolm for one thing. Cause like, there, <gasps> yeah, I'm sorry. I am. There is that one weird scene where Ian is like seriously putting the moves on Ellie mm-hmm. right in front of Alan. And then later asks if Alan, if they, he and Ellie are together and Alan confirms that. And I'm like, you know, come on, man. Like there is, it is too smart of a guy and too much of a player not to know well in advance that Ellie and, and Alan are a team. So, like, I just I, I wasn't a fan of that. And then one last thing, and this is the true academic in me, there is this one moment in in where Timmy's talking to Alan Grant and says that, you know, yeah, I read the other guy's book, which was way fatter than yours. And I was, my response was, oh, you know what that means? That means Grant was the better and more <laughs> concise writer, Anna. Okay? Thickness does not necessarily mean, like, longer does not necessarily mean better. I'm sorry, at least in terms of books. So, Team Grant. The, we should keep little Molly's screams in there, because she does sound like a baby dinosaur. <laughs> Fair enough. Doesn't yes. she? She does. Doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Oh, one last thing, which is, I, w- I was also amused at the complete 180 that the sniveling corporate lawyer does, where, like, the moment he sees <laughs> that, like, you know, he's, like, supposed to be the risk-averse guy, because he's representing the risk-averse inventors. The moment he sees investors... The moment he sees, like, the actual dinosaurs, he's like, no, screw this. Let's, like, open it now. You know, like, that was just very funny. I do like he says, like, we can charge anything we want. (laughs) So that is my baby dinosaur right there. (laughs) Molly, uh, you are just a really ingenious piece of engineering. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Molly agrees, clearly. Yes. All right. So there is one scene where Ellie is in the self-driving Jeep, yeah. which, of course, we, wow, self-driving car. Yeah. And she goes, it's an interactive CD-ROM. <laughs> <laughs> which I like. Yes. And then there is something that's a little bit of a, a running joke, and Attenborough sells it, which is, I spared no expense. He says that a few times. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, the last time he says it is, when they're having the melting ice cream and the dinosaurs are loose. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And she's like, oh, this is really good. And he goes, spared no expense. No expense. And that is nice. It's that's, nice. Yeah. I mentioned the the visual jokes. I feel like there's some lines that I just have, I wrote down and just had question marks after them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of them is when 
Ellie and Attenborough or Hammond are, are sitting and she's trying to explain to him sort of a version of what Malcolm had said, yeah. right? Like, th- this is all going wrong. Right. And she says, you can't think through this. You have to feel it, which... That's not a good science line, just no. to be clear. No. That, that sounds like Obi-Wan <laughs> talking to Luke. That's not... that. Like, you know, if, that, if you had told me that was a line from Star Wars, I would have believed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then another line is, creation is an act of will. And I'm, and my reaction to that is like, well, well, yes, mm-hmm. yes, that is <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, there, it, it's. It, I feel like this script could have used just like one more pass, right. just like one light edit. Yes, you know, yes, that's fair. We didn't get a chance to shout out Samuel L. Jackson as much as he should be. He, it's a very, very small role. He doesn't get the death scene that was written for him, um, but he's good. I like that he smokes constantly. That's like a fun kind of. Character. This might have been the peak of like. I mean, in the early '90s, I think there was a statute in Hollywood that Samuel L. Jackson had to appear in one yes. of every, like one out of every three films in a supporting role, and like this is yeah. one of the sort of peak supporting roles that he does. And again, you're right. It's not like a. It's not a huge role, but he's he's great in it and. He actually might have the, you know, like, I think him saying hold on to your butts is one of, like, the memes that has lived on past the movie. Which, by the way, I did want to say, like, one of the things that surprises me is about this film is that for a film that is as good as it is, it actually surprises me somewhat that there's not, I don't know how large its pop culture footprint is. Like, it innovated in a lot of ways, but... You know, it hasn't been copied really all that much, and that that I except do, by itself, yeah, <laughs> except yeah. for Parthogenesis, right, exactly. except for the self reproduction, right? But you, I think it's very memeable, right? Yeah. Like that is that that is a way that it's impacted right. pop culture, and there have been like direct to video knockoffs of it. But I think what I hear you saying, or or the thing that I'm kind of getting out of it, is is that why aren't there more great thrillers like this yeah like it, it this this movie again like people got the wrong lessons from it george lucas specifically yeah. but this movie shows you can do this right? right like you can take a simple plot and you can just you don't need a ton of special effects i mean it does have special effects but one of the articles i read said actually the combined cgi is like 15 or like 15 minutes mm, total okay. i think yeah. All right. Well, I'm really glad we did this. Yes, as am I. I'm also excited for The Prestige because I don't think I've seen that since it came out. And I remember really liking it. And I know it it made it into our Venn diagram uh, of what we like to cover by the skin of its teeth. You just wanted to do do Christopher Nolan. We haven't done a Christopher Nolan, so it seemed appropriate. (laughs) That's not what you were thinking, I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) Let me put it this way. You're going to have to explain the why when we talk about The Prestige. But I'm also looking forward to doing Firefly. That'll be, you know, we've been talking about that for a while as well. So this will both be fun. If you are not already a patron, please consider becoming one. It's probably pretty easy to figure out how to do that. It's patreon.com slash space the nation. We also do have a newsletter that is mostly uh, weekly, and you can get that at tinyletter.com slash space the nation. Rate and review. Come on the Discord. It's great. We have a wonderful community. And until next time, keep this channel open for more.